are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart, Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey. Just about 8.02 on Saturday morning. Great to have you there this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning talking about your money, finance, investing, the economy, and all those things that hopefully make your money grow in the longer term. And with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Doing well. Well, good. Well, let's start off with uh, something everybody's talking about, inflation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've talked about this very much lately. So, <laughs> <laughs> We reported last week that inflation year over year was up about 7.5%, but companies are doing their best to hide these increases in many ways, such as reducing the portion size at restaurants or reducing the number of ounces of a product you may buy in the store. Another trick they are using is not increasing the price but adding overpriced accessories that you may buy on a car or another similar product. Yeah, and then some companies too, like uh, Peloton, obviously, have been on news quite a bit lately. They reduced their price but by about $400, but then they added delivery and set-up fees, which bring the price of the product almost back to where it was before the price cut. So <laughs> it's kind of like uh, you know, smoke and mirrors, what we'll say. And to even Disney, we look at them, they, they've kept their ticket price around $109 for the resorts, they're now adding costs of $7 to $15 for the most popular rides on top of the ticket price. You know, if you're staying in a nice hotel, you may find they have cut a free shuttle from the airport or that free morning breakfast that they used to do. That's no longer there. Uh, there's nothing the consumer, unfortunately, can do about this because many businesses are caught in this tough situation of rising prices. But it is a wise consumer who is aware of this when comparing different prices. And, you know, it's funny, I did kind of notice. And one, one thing that kind of bothers me, I got I just comment on, on Disney, it was always free. And I used to take you and all the kids to Disneyland and so forth. And that was a great benefit that, oh, okay, well, everything's free once you get in. I don't think many people know this. I don't think there's big signs on the front like, hey, you're going to pay for rides. You get in there to Disneyland, and I think it's the most popular rides are charging. We'll, we'll call it like 7 to $10, $10. Well, you got four kids all of a sudden like, wow. That's not so forty bucks, and then the kids want to do it again. Like it can really add up, and we know the food costs are not cheap in Disneyland. So this, these are things you have to be aware of because this is what companies are doing. Uh, and I came, I was at the South Lake Tahoe this past week, and uh, I noticed the restaurant. Oh, we we'll get a free breakfast and so forth. Well, it wasn't very much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get there like, okay, well, let's go to real breakfast now. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, it is so important that you kind of compare apples to apples because a lot of times you might look at a hotel room rate let's say and you're right maybe one has the hotel breakfast now one yeah. doesn't they have a cheaper price but hey you get breakfast at the other place there's there's different ways that now companies are trying to i'm going to say market to consumers yeah. and kind of hide different costs or take away different benefits that they used to have so it is something important and you know i, I think it's going to be different from consumer to consumer uh, yeah I, I tell you a good example of this, I was just thinking, is when you started going to restaurants, and there was a minimum wage hike here in San Diego, and some co uh, companies, some restaurants now just hided, added the surcharge to it. Right. Honestly, I'd rather have you just increase the prices by a dollar. The surcharge just always frustrates me. It's right <laughs> in your face, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and the thing too, and I don't want to beat up on businesses. I'm not trying to beat up no. on businesses. I'm just trying to make the consumer more aware because businesses have to do things. And again, as you point out, if you're shopping, that's one of the things you have to kind of look at. Okay, this hotel gives a free shuttle, this one doesn't. So just be more aware as a consumer trying to do the best you can with stretch that dollar. But businesses, they're in a very difficult spot with raising prices on you know, their, their, their products and so forth that they have to pay. 
uh, food costs are up, labor costs are up, so they have to do things. This is one thing they're doing. Just be aware as a consumer. Uh, let's talk about uh, household debt because it has increased by $1.02 trillion last year due to high prices on homes and cars. Total consumer debt is now about $15.6 trillion, but I'm, I'm really not worried about that number because about 80% of the new debt was tied to homes, which are a tangible asset. Yeah, and I, I'm actually going to say not at just 80, closer to 90% yeah. are, are tied to the homes. I mean, that, that is really, I'm going to say a benefit. And also, too, subprime borrowers are only 2% of the mortgage debt. So you're looking at people that are in, in good financial spots. I'm not worried about what we saw back in 2006, 2007, where you had just people buying that shouldn't have been buying homes back then. And I will say, too, it was nice to see in the report that credit card balances were $856 billion, which is down from $927 billion back in 2019. They have started to climb off those 2020 yeah. levels, <clears throat> but we're still in a, a very reasonable spot for that revolving debt. Yeah, and 2019 is a good comparison because it would be maybe lower in 2020, but 2019, no COVID at that point in time, normal economy. Uh, I do want to point out, too, you, you did a great segment on uh, Fox News uh, last week. Fox uh, Five, yeah, yeah, Fox Five news <laughs> uh, about real estate, and, and it's just uh, we won't go into detail here, but you point out some good factors about. Uh, we talk about we're not worried about the tangible debt, but uh, what was the number like? Fifty percent or something have some type of kind of increase. It's seventy five. Seventy five percent. Recent home buyers have some sort of remorse, whether it was the house is too small, bad location. We've talked about this before, but the interest rate's too high. Oh, my gosh. You know? <laughs> I think that's coming from the millennials that don't know. Uh, I'll say that. I'm a millennial, of course. But the other millennials that don't know the history of interest rates, I guess. And also, too, I mean, maintenance. I mean, that's something yeah. that you always forget about. And I kind of made a joke on, on there, too. I said everybody thinks they're now like Chip and Joanna Gaines who – kind of became famous for, you know, fixing up houses right. and kind of flipping them and helping people, you know, buy cheaper properties and making them look nice. Well, that's a lot of work. <laughs> you have to have a lot of knowledge that HGTV's made it look too easy where people are like, oh, yeah, you just make an open floor plan and, you know, it's beautiful. And then you get in there and it's like, wow, I have no idea what I'm doing. I think that that's kind of another regret people are having. And I know why it happens because buying a home is so exciting. You're I mean, you're buying this major asset, and you're, you're looking at, wow, this is going to be ours, and I'm going to own this home. We're going to own this home, raise our kids here. You're not thinking about it. I love what Raul said to you about, yeah, I bought this uh, push lawnmower. Did it, what, one week? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, and that's a reality that you're not going to cut your own grass. You think you are, but then after a while, like, well, I don't want to spend my whole Saturday working around the yard. <laughs> I, I mean, I tell people, I mean, be patient. I, I yeah. don't think you're going to have the crash that we saw in 2007, 2008, 2009. I, I don't foresee that by any means. But what I do tell people is don't put yourself in a bad situation. No. And also, too, the thing I said was, if you look two, three years down the road, there's still going to be houses around. You know? <laughs> yeah, it will be. And maybe, just maybe at a better price. I mean, exactly. that, that, that's the thing that I kind of look at, too, is don't be in such a rush. There's always going to be houses there. And we have seen housing booms before. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not going to say we have a crash here, but I think there'll be better prices down the road that you can, you know, there'll, there'll be some people where they want to get out of their home and, and they w there won't be so much competition to buy that home. And then you can get better prices. So don't be in a rush to buy a home because it may not be as great as you thought it was. And 
What was that number again? 75? 75%. Have some type of remorse about buying the home there. Yeah. The largest one was maintenance. Maintenance, yeah. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I was never good at that either. I did that a couple of times. Where, yeah, I'm going to buy a lawnmower, do it myself. And you do it for a little while. Like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I think I've sold three lawnmowers. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say, too, I mean, that's the big thing I look at is, is debt's generally what creates collapses in economies. Yeah. Not recessions. But collapses right now. I, I don't foresee any over leverage. You, you know, we talk about cryptocurrencies. People aren't leveraging up and you know doing these crazy things with cryptos just yet. Right now, if that starts to become an issue, that's where you can really have I'm going to say a snowball effect where things start to crash and then things have margin calls, things get called away from you. That's what creates collapses, not recessions. We could easily have a recession, I think, yeah. here in the next year or two, but we're not going to have a collapse. Right, and, and if you want to watch that video with uh, Chase on Fox 5 about the housing, want to see what we're talking about, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com, smartinvesting2000.com. We do have a, a thing right there uh, in the news, I think is where they click on. Uh, mm -hmm. You can actually see all the segments there uh, from the news, but uh, that was a great one. Uh, let's talk about oil because uh, we all know that oil prices uh, at the pump are increasing as demand for oil is high and supplies are low. One thing you may not know is that spending on exploration and production in the U.S. has dropped dramatically from before the pandemic, where it's close to $190 billion, to the current level, just around $75 billion. Also, the rig count for the U.S. prior to the pandemic was around 1900 That's dropped quite a bit, hasn't it, Chase? Yeah, I mean, you compare that to today, <laughs> it's almost about quarter wow. at 500 rigs the problem there is there's just no incentive for oil companies in the u.s to move forward because of a heavier regulation and a negative attitude from washington and this is what scares me about the energy prices i i think we're not going to see 200 dollar a barrel oil anytime soon i i don't foresee yeah. that but I don't think you're going to continue to see 40, 50 percent increases in energy prices. But I don't see any way that energy prices pull back at this point because the oil companies are not yeah. investing. That's an issue. But I think you have to, again, kind of circle back to the inflation that you're seeing as a consumer. A lot of it's stemming from this. I mean, we have a flooring company. I was just listening to their conference call, and they're getting crushed in Europe because of the natural gas costs yeah. and the price of oil. And that's not helping them here in the U.S., but it's worse in Europe. Europe. So they're yeah. having issues. This is, an, I think, an issue, and I don't foresee us having any major fixes. Yeah, and, and it could get worse. As you know, I, 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 we, we talk, and, and I am concerned. I mean, uh, Sunday is a closing ceremony for the Olympics. Uh, we know Russia pushing on the border of Ukraine. If that happens, and again, Monday's a holiday, um, I, I, I'm, I'm just wondering what Russia's thoughts are. And if they do move into Ukraine, that's going to drive oil prices even higher. Uh, it, it is my concern there. So we will see what happens on that. Uh, I'm not saying, oh, sell everything and, and do everything, but you want to be aware as an investor that that could happen. What's going to be the results? Well, I think we'll have drops in the markets, but also, too, I think oil will probably spike as well, putting us in a different situation. And I'm not happy. We've talked before about what the government should be doing, and that's just turning on the spigots and pumping tons of oil. I was going to say, too, remember, I think it was about a year or so ago when they had the oil executives on uh, testimony of the House. They beat those guys up. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and now you want them to help out. They're saying, you know, why? So you can beat us up again? You yeah. Know, so that is a shame. The government has to turn around their thing. And we will get to EVs. We're going to get there. We're going to get to that clean energy. But right now we need normal energy to... <laughs> Reduce prices at the bubble. I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I, you Go know, ahead. I, I, uh, <laughs> I was looking on social media and somebody was talking about how Obama did a great job with, uh, you know, kind of 
oil and gas back when he was president. But that's because fracking wasn't really a thing. The shale and the shale boom right. occurred under Obama, but they didn't know how to regulate it because right. it was new. It was new and it just like started. Yeah. Yeah. So. And now you kind of have a, a shift in sentiment now where it's like, oh, it's terrible. So I don't know. I mean, it, it's just. I understand where people come from on the global warming, and I'm not saying I'm for or against it, but, you know, people have their opinions on it. But the reality is we need oil. We need gas to get us through, and, and we can't have this mindset, well, we're not producing it, but we're still using it. Right. Well, you're still using it's the problem. So, <laughs> And I will say that there is a, a solution that Washington came out with that's yeah, yeah, that, that, that they want to talk about. Before I do that, I want to give the phone number. It's going to be taking calls pretty quick here, 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion about what you want to talk about. And yeah, the idea of the federal gas tax holiday you're talking about, Chase, has been floating around as a political or potential uh, solution to current energy inflation. Uh, it's what eighteen point four cents per gallon. Uh, sounds like okay, that'll help somewhat, but it's not really going to be that helpful. No, I, I mean, I, I believe it, it doesn't really address the real problem. And, again, I think it's just a, a ploy to kind of buy buy votes is, you know, we know it's 2022, the midterms. Uh, it's kind of con- getting contentious right now. I think people are saying, oh, well, if we do this, maybe we'll, we'll kind of win over some votes. Yeah. And we're trying to fix this problem. But it, it just, again, it doesn't address the real issue here, which is the supply-demand imbalance. And also, too, you think about it. You reduce some of the, the cost at the pump. Well, it could make it even worse if it increases demand for gasoline because now you're putting even more demand pressure on there. And also, too, the plan would cost the government more than $20 billion. And we know that our, our highways and our bridges, we kind of need that money. Oh, yeah. So I, I I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think it really would be much of a benefit to the consumer at the end of the day, especially here in California, what's 18 cents. And as you said, if Russia invades right. Ukraine, that 18 cents going to get eaten up there pretty quick. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And you won't even notice it, I don't think, at the pump because uh, 18 cents when you're paying $5 a gallon, it's not going to be that big of a deal. And I, I feel it's one of these, uh, oh, well, we're, as you said, we're doing something. No, that's not the right thing because you're not going to increase supply or reduce demand. You're actually increasing demand and supply is going to be a worse situation. So uh, I would say very easily uh, if you increase a demand, uh, you can see that 18 cents wiped out dramat- very quickly uh, in just a rising price there. So it, I, I wish the government would get on board and stop this silliness that they're doing and realize that we need to be more energy from oil and gas for now. We, we, you know, again, more we'll pro-energy. G- yeah, pro-energy. And, and again, we will get there eventually, but that's the big thing that we have. And look what Russia's doing. Russians, like, they're taking big advantage of this. They're making billions of dollars while here we are, oh, trying to cut it down and charging our consumers more. It's not being run like a business, obviously. And a great example, we have a refiner in the portfolio, and they talk about how they have renewable diesel. Yeah. And they say it's the energy business that we're taking and we're using those profits to invest in the renewable side of the business. You kind of need that transition period, and you can't just – Flip off the switch on energy or oil and gas, non-renewables, and all of a sudden flip on the switch for electric. It, right. It's just not going to work. So there has to be more of a transition, and it's really costing the consumer. It's costing businesses, and I, I mean, I just don't foresee inflation. We think inflation is going to ease in the second half, but it's going to decelerate. Right. It's not going to be like a decline in prices. You're going to see a, a deceleration because 
these companies are absorbing all these costs. And if you look at the PPI, producer price index, that's still higher than the CPI. So I think it's going to take some time for these companies to pass the, the costs along. I mean, I look at a, a car insurance company we have. I've talked about that flooring company we have. They have scheduled increase. Yeah. yeah. They're not just like, okay, we're going to increase to offset the cost right away. Sometimes it takes about six months. It takes a year for them to offset the cost of the price spikes that they're witnessing. So that's why I think inflation is going to last. And one thing you want to do when you're investing is look at the company. Can they afford to increase prices? We own a first company in our portfolio. Just listen to a conference call, and they say, yes, our, our pricing power is there. We, we can increase our prices and does not hurt demand. That's what you want to look at when you're investing. Don't get too excited about just investing on something, but look at now how they're going to handle inflation. Let's open the phones, uh, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go down to Chula Vista and speak with Kevin. Kevin, you're on the Smart Invest Show Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, man. Well, not so much how you know we can help this morning, but I appreciate the uh, the light that you're putting on the inflation problem. Uh, it goes straight to the heart of the energy uh, debacle that mm-hmm. was created by our politicians in Washington, and most of them have a D in front of their name. It's just it's time to pin the tail on the donkey, and the Fed can do whatever the Fed wants to do. It cannot control inflation when the energy sector has now been basically decapitated here by the policies in Washington. We were at 275 a gallon thereabouts in November before the man took over. And what scares me is that this policy of, of green energy, look, everybody could buy an electric car tomorrow, and we can't even keep the lights on in our houses. Just imagine the strain on the energy grid when everybody plugs their electric cars in at 5 p.m. at nighttime, <laughs> you think you've got problems now? I mean, these are the oh, things yeah. that people are thinking of. Yeah, yeah. And the folks that scare me are not the ones that are elected. It's my neighbors who seem to be as ignorant as hell when it comes to the realities of the economy and how the economy really functions. And they keep putting these people into office that convince you that if you walk out the door – you know, you're going to have some something kill you. Either it's going to be the police, it's going to be climate change, or it's going to be COVID. And that's that's the problem. There has to be an awakening by the people that are listening to this show to explain themselves for voting for this, because they put these guys and in, in gals into office. And until they take them out, this is going to be an unparalleled mess. We are at the brink of, of a war in which we are captive now. We are captive to whatever happens over in that neck of the woods because we put ourselves there with the stupidity and the policies that have created this inflation problem that is only going to get worse with the taxes and everything else that they've, they've dumped on us. San Diego, right. nice and job, guys. Highest cost of living in the nation yeah. to live here. And, and it's not just us. I mean, it, it is across the nation. Everybody is seeing increases and so forth. And uh, one thing I'm glad you pointed out is a lot of times people do b- blame one person, but it's not one person. It's all the politicians in Washington that are doing, a, a, I will say, a bad job and and, and not realizing what's going to happen. And you're so <laughs> true, true as well. 
I mean, if everybody were to plug in their cars, what's going to happen to the electric grid? It's going to shut down. I mean, we've, we've had this before. We have blackouts and so forth. So you bring up some great points. I'm glad you kind of shared that. And we do hope, we try to talk common sense here on the Smart Investing Show because it's not just investing. It is a business thing that we talk about as well. So, Kevin, I appreciate your input there, and, and thank you for calling in. Well, one quick point, if I could. Sure. Uh, one thing, back to the investing side. Uh, my portfolio, and I hope other peoples are thinking about this, with the impending crisis coming overseas, that's going to jack the stock market all over the place. Folks, put stop losses on your on your accounts and make sure that your, your investment brokers uh, have a clear message that uh, uh, you can you know, withstand this. And if something bad happens, don't get caught with your pants down on, on losing everything. Put a stop loss on all of your accounts. Make sure that uh, you can bail out the cash if you need to. Uh, okay, this okay, thing's going to be a wild Kevin, ride. Kevin, i got to stop you there. We do not agree on stop losses. That's the worst thing people can do because uh, that's a trading thing. And we're an investment firm that invests in businesses to put stop losses on companies when you don't know what's happening, I, I gotta tell you, we don't recommend that at all. So I mean, that that's your opinion, but we are totally against yeah, it. Yeah, and the big thing we look at too is with like China several years ago, where we had the market dip 5% at the open and it was terrible, and then all of a sudden it popped back up, people sold out, locked in those losses. That That's why we talk about owning the right businesses, yep. not, I mean, if you're having, I'm gonna say like the Teslas, the Rokus, these high flyers, that's more of, I'm going to say trading. Maybe stop yeah. losses make sense there. We don't do that, though. We like to buy businesses for the long term. I don't care if Russia invades Ukraine. That's not going to have an issue on our company's long term. Yeah, and, it, and I do believe in our portfolio this year, we'll probably do somewhere around 8%, 10% as our, our expectation will do. And with a stop loss on good businesses, you may miss it. So, again, I think you're right, if you, as Chase said, if you're trading on those high flyers that we disagree with. But I, I don't want somebody to say, oh, yes, put stop loss on everything in my portfolio. I think that'd be the wrong thing to do. But um, thank you for your comment, Kevin. We do appreciate it, and you have a great day. Thanks, okay. Ben. All right. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. And uh, I'm in your court, too. I think the stop losses are... Uh I don't know. I stopped trading the market several years ago because I just couldn't trust myself enough. You know? Yeah, it becomes too emotional, you know. And and we oh have, God, yeah, we have seen things that happen with they they move very quickly. What was that? It just drove me crazy watching <laughs> stock trades go across. Tick 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 tick. Come on, there's give me two cents. Give me time. Just went down, <laughs> down, down. Well, then you get out, and then oh. when you get back in is the other question. Oh God, there's so many questions. <laughs> I just. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just I just stopped. I couldn't deal with it. So listen, playing off your uh, deal about oil this morning, I want to have a conversation, plus wise pros and cons on uh, pipeline partnerships. I own some MMP, and uh, you know I'm a greedy dividend investor, and they pay at the moment a nice dividend. And um, you know, it, um, I'm just looking for your as your always salient comments, uh, generally about stuff I forgot to think about. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a look at uh, Magellan Midstream. Their symbol is MMP. They are in the oil and gas midstream uh, industry. Uh, not a lot of float here, 4.1%. Only 56% is held by institutions. We do see a nice P.E. ratio of 11.1 versus 20 for the industry. Price of sales does look high, though, 3.8 versus 1.4. 
Price to book value 5.5. That's very good because the industry is at 39. And we see price to cash flow 9.1, slightly ahead of the industry at 7.2, and a peg ratio 1.5, about one tenth the industry at 15.5. So that's a pretty good peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth. Speaking of growth, we see year over year earnings were up 12.4%, uh, not as good as the industry, up 32%. And sales, same situation, sales up 6.6%, uh, industry up 25%. So I wonder why this company's so far behind on sales and earnings. Uh, over the last year on growth. So you understand, is this company having problems or not? You are correct. They pay a nice dividend, 8.8% versus 6.2% for the industry. They do use 99% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, we do see they have a, um, uh, on the balance sheet, a current ratio of 1.2 versus 0 0.9. So that is good. Debt to equity, 270. That is the same as the industry. And a net profit margin, 35.6. That's well above the industry at 7.7. .7. Also, return to equity looking almost too good at 46.3 versus 10.1. Chase, what do you got for the company going forward? Before I get into the numbers, too, I mean, I, I like the concept of this. I mean, you're still going to need to move the oil around mm -hmm. and the gas around, regardless of the oil prices. That's one thing I've never really understood, I guess, is the correlation between oil prices and how it benefits these transportation companies because you got to move it you got to move it but obviously they can they can charge more when things are nice yeah. but i i also want to say too i believe this is a partnership which you got to be careful because that's taxed differently we think of the same thing same yeah. exact same thing I, I again we're not tax experts but i know it's taxed differently i mean for simplicity my thoughts it's a lot easier to own these in retirement accounts than yeah. non-retirement accounts just for the taxation but uh you, know, you still get that juicy dividend you just got to look at the tax ramifications of it um if you are invested in these types of companies but looking still at the numbers current price here for mmp well that is 47 dollars and 24 cents 52 week high 53 dollars and 85 cents and the low 40 dollars and 34 cents i go out to december 2023 I see estimated earnings per share of $4.49. We'll give us a target sell price of $74.53. So still some good value left on this this company. I mean, again, you get a good dividend. You just got to be careful of the taxes. Debt level, I know, is a little bit higher than, actually a lot higher than we, we normally like to see. So um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's something I wouldn't own, but uh, I, I can see, I guess, why you own it, Jim, especially with your dividend philosophy. And, and Jim, do you hold that in a retirement account or... Um just an investment account. No, no, I just I've never done retirement accounts. I only do investment accounts. Okay. So I understand your point about that. Yeah. And I, I let me ask you. I would yeah. call, I would call your tax person to let them know that you have it and talk about the tax ramifications of owning this in, the, in your portfolio. Yeah. Now you said just uh, I know REITs have got uh, what a ninety percent mandatory uh, payout on their earnings because REIT. Now this is a partnership, and you were saying that they use ninety nine percent of their earnings to pay the dividend, and I wonder if that's because partnership uh, basically has to pass through everything. Do you know anything about that, or is that another tax? Well, yeah, that is what happens. But the other thing, too, it does something that reduces the cost basis. And so if you paid, I'm going to say, $47 a share, and then over the next um, three years, and I'm just throwing out ballpark numbers here, you got $10 in dividends. I believe that your cost base is now 37 If the stock went to 50 I'll, like, well, wait a minute here. So, so talk with your tax person. Let him know that you have this so he can explain to you. I don't know what your tax bracket is. If it's high, this may not be good for you on the tax side. But again, have that conversation with your tax person. Just let them know. I, is it a big part of your portfolio, Jim? Uh, I don't know. Probably 5 or 6%. I, I'd have to go back and look, frankly. I just, uh, 
I just wanted more of a, a narrative about the, you know, about investing into partnerships of this sort, which we've just done. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the company looks pretty good, except for the debt level, which you know we're we're against high debt companies because if things don't go right, uh, they can really lose money very quickly. So, but I, I would be aware of that, and don't just chase the dividend. I know nine percent dividend looks pretty attractive, but if the stock falls twenty percent, well, you still lost eleven percent there. Alrighty. Thanks, pal. Okay, Thanks, Jim. Uh, thanks to both of you. As always, have a wonderful day. You See too. You. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. All right, that does open up the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And Chase got an email. I, I, I didn't write down the person's name. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but he's from Redondo Beach, and he wants to know about Cincinnati Financial, and their symbol is C-I-N-F, and I want to kind of uh, look at that for him. And, um, and I like this, too, because uh, we've not looked at, well, we have, but you know we hold uh, big money center banks. Um, I kind of like the more regional banks. I'm excited to kind of take a look at this one here uh, as well. And uh, we, we've looked at, uh, gosh, what was that? Third, fifth was one I've kind of looked at and so forth. So this one again is Cincinnati Financial, symbol C-I-N-F. Now, I thought this was a small bank, but it's in the industry of insurance, property, and casualty. We like insurance companies. So okay, changing gears here on that. <laughs> <laughs> the shares float is only 3.1%. Uh, Institutional ownership, 69%. Uh, nice PE ratio, which you'll find generally in insurance companies, 6.9, and that's well below the industry at 10.1. Price of sales, however, very expensive, 2.1 versus 0.8. Price to book value, 1.5, better than the industry at 2.3. And Chase, we generally don't compare the S&P 500. I just noticed this. I did not know that the S&P 500, the price of tangible book value is over 100. And I guess that's because of all the technology companies, but that's kind of frightening, uh, having that high of a price of book value in the S&P 500. Price of cash flow is 10.8 for uh, Cincinnati Financial. Uh, that's above the industry at 6.6, .6, and a peg ratio is pretty good, 1.8 versus 2.6. Now we've got some nice earnings growth here, 107%, but the industry was up 133%. So what is causing that growth on the earnings for the industry and the company? I'd wanna understand why that's happening. Uh, on your sales growth uh, over the one year, 19.4% for the company versus 3%. That's a positive. You got a yield of 2.2%. They only use 15.9% of their earnings to pay that out. They do have a different balance sheet, so you don't have the current ratio and so forth. But debt to equity, very good, 0.1. Uh, the industry's at 0.3. And then net profit margin for Cincinnati Financial is 28.1 versus 8.7. Uh, that's a net profit margin. And then return equity is 21.3 versus 14.1. So I like those numbers there. How's it look going forward, Chase? Yeah, we'll start here. Current price for Cincinnati Financial is $125.58. Nearest this two-week high of $129.17 and a low $95.06. I see year-to-date here. It's up 10.2% while the S&P is down 8.8%. So it's kind of bucking that trend. Uh, not surprised as it is that financial type yeah. company. Uh, it's a good sized company though at a $20 billion market cap. I did kind of look because I, I was a little bit surprised it was an insurance company, but they operate through five segments, commercial lines insurance, personal lines insurance, excess and surplus lines insurance, life insurance, and investments. So mm -hmm. I, I'd want to know more about those five segments. Where are they really kind of concentrating those areas of business? What is what are they known for? I mean, I've never looked at this company before. Are they, are they more regional, too? I've never heard of Cincinnati Financial. So there's a lot more research that would have to be done with this business because 
I don't know about it. Right, right. And, but it appears to be worth it. And I'm kind of surprised, too, that a company this large, I've never heard of it. Uh, what you said, $20 billion market cap? I've never heard of this company before. But I think well, because it is a commercial, maybe. Yeah, and, and you say it might be worth it, but I have some bad news. Going what? forward, December 2023, estimated earnings per share $5.56 would give us a target sell price of $92.30, which is below the current price of one twenty-five. And it, it looks like they had a huge jump in earnings this last year. It must have been something with their book of business where they, they were able to kind of increase the earnings based yep. off accounting. Mm-hmm. Uh, might have been like a mark-to-market adjustment or, or something that, that allowed them to increase those earnings per share. Because this year it looks like they're potentially going to have an earnings per share fall of about 18%. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's why when I kind of saw that 107% increase in earnings, I said, well, check that. Because, again, it could have been a one-time thing, and you're right. That's why you look at the earnings going forward that you said the target price is now below the current price. So, no, not worth uh, looking into this one then. Yeah, and I, I, I jumped I, too quick there. Yeah, <laughs> it could have been a sale of a part of the business where they, they had a, you know kind of earnings coming from that, that capital sale. I, but I, I would just be you know curious if I owned it, why, why, why did they have that huge earnings spike, and then why are they having a huge earnings fall? Yeah, exactly. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Vessel, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. Tell you what, uh, the stock I'm looking at is Illinois Tool Works. It's um, kind of one of my... Uh, my typical boring stocks there. <laughs> well, sometimes boring is good. I mean, boring if, if it's the right boring, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it can be very good. So <laughs> let's take a look at Illinois Tool Works, symbol is ITW. Uh, they're in the specialty industry, machinery industry now. That's kind of uh, unique. Uh, short is only 1.8%. Uh, 80% owned by institutions. Uh, PE ratio is kind of high at 25, but the whole industry is high at 30. We do see price of sales 4.7 versus 2. Price to tangible book value, not material versus 100. So they that means you take away all the intangible assets. There's no value based on the assets of the company. Uh, price of cash flow 27. I'm sorry, 26.7 versus 19.2, and the peg ratio 2.2, better than the industry at 4.5. Now here we see earnings over the last year are up 28.4 percent, better than the industry at 25.9. Sales were up 15%, about triple the industry at 5.1. And you have a five-year earnings per share growth estimate uh, from the analysts of 11% for the company versus 8.7 for the industry. You got a yield of 2.3%. They use 55% of the earnings to pay that out. Looking at the balance sheet here, you got a current ratio 1.8 versus 1.9. That's good. What I don't like here, John, is the debt to equity 220% versus 0.6%. Uh, for the industry. So I'd be worried on the debt. I'd want to see if that debt is being paid down. What's the cash on this? But I don't like uh, that much debt on the balance sheet for a company. We do see a net profit margin, 18.6. That's very good. The industry is 6.7. Return equity, problem here, 74.3 versus 9.2. Maybe they don't have much equity, perhaps, because of all that debt and the equity is very low. So kind of look at that a little bit deeper. Uh, Return on capital is 24.8 versus 11.2. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Yeah, well, I gotta say, I, I like this company. Uh, they're diversified across different industries. I mean, they have automotive, they have food equipment too, mm. which excites me because I, I know that food is doing really well right now. So they right. might be able to charge higher prices for that type of equipment, test and measurement, electronics, welding, construction, uh, and some other specialty products. So I, I like that the business is able to appease various industries. That always gives me more comfort 
when looking at uh, these types of companies. But talking more about the numbers, current price here for Illinois Toolworks is $215.81. It has pulled back from the high of $249.81, uh, off the low to of $199.31. Year-to-date down about 12.6%. I, I was pretty surprised by this, though. Ten-year return, 384%. Uh, S&P is 287%. Wow. So it's done very, very well over the 10-year period, uh, even though it's down a little bit this year. Yeah. Looking forward, though, for uh, ITW, I go out to December 2023. I see estimated earnings per share of $10.08. Unfortunately, it gives us a target sell price of $167.33. Uh, so above the current price, it is just uh, trading at uh, a little bit more lofty evaluation than we like to see. And, and, John, I know you said this is one of your long-term holdings, your boring companies. i got to say I'd, I'd recommend a sell on this because I think everything's been very nice with this company. As Chase said, they were, what, three, 300%. They've done extremely well. But now you got uh, lower earnings, a lot of debt appears to be on the balance sheet. Uh, I don't think the next 10 years can be very good for this company. I think we would be better off selling this now, perhaps buying something else uh, that is a better better value here. All righty? Okay. Thanks, guys. All right, John. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That opens up the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Right now, it's time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. I know we're talking about 401k rollovers, and this is very important, I think, for people in financial planning because I know that sometimes they just don't do the right things. How are we going to help them here? So um, when you separate from a company that has a 401k, you've got three main options. You can either do nothing and keep that 401k where it is, you can transfer that 401k to a new hey, 401k Harrison. with a new employer. Harrison, yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. Can yeah. you call back on the other line, not the the back line? I think it's that back line that has yeah. the static feedback. So it's that eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three number. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll call back on the other one. All right, <laughs> okay. thank you, Harrison. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it must be that back line. Yeah, it's there's, just there's not working issue. for us. Yeah, yeah. but uh, while we wait for Harrison, I, I was going to say too. Um, you know, we, we did, well, I did. You were out of the office yesterday. I did the uh, Smart Investing Weekly Stock Analysis. I took a look at Roku. Oh, and yeah, Roku. Roku has fallen nearly 80% from its high. Didn't they have a high, like, 220 or something? Oh, I think <clears throat> higher than that. Was I mean, it really? I, I think it was around 400, I want to say. No, was that yeah, it was It was pretty high up there. But uh, the point I was I was looking at that was interesting on Roku is some people look at stocks and they're like, oh, it's down 80%. It can't go any lower. <laughs> but if that stock falls 90%, so if you buy in when it's down 80% from the high and then it proceeds to fall to 90% from the high, you've lost 50%. Exactly. People just need to look at the numbers a little bit differently. And, you know, I, I just always like to point that out. But, you know, if you're interested in that weekly stock analysis video, make sure you go to YouTube, type in the Smart Investing Show, and, and you'll be able to find that there. And, yeah, 52-week high, $490.76 wow. for Roku. Now it's at 112 You know, I'm sure there's people that bought it at 100 Maybe they wrote it up to 400 and thought it's going to 500, and now they're sitting at what was it again? 100. Yeah, about about 100. <clears throat> and 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 again, you point out the important part about the what, what I kind of call fundwood numbers, because you think like, yeah, how much further can it fall? Like it fell 80 percent, so what's it going to fall? Another, you know, well that 90 goes to 90 percent. That's only 10 percent. But if you bought it at that price, you're going to lose 50 percent of your money. And also to the opportunity cost. Yep. Had you said no, this this is not a great company. I, I'm going to take my loss buy something else you could save 
that 50% decline by buying a stronger company. And, and, and that's the gambling of the uh, market that we'll call it. Yep, yep. So again, if you wanna watch that video, make sure you go to YouTube, type in <coughs> the Smart Investing Show, and uh, it'll pop up right there, and you can watch our other weekly stock analysis videos, and you can also see our new segments on YouTube there as well. We, we kind of built a little channel for our, our, our listeners. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, we got an email here from uh, uh, Jeff, and he goes, I uh, hope your week's been going well. Uh, he wants to know about uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, and Goldman Sachs is a, a bank company so let's take a look at the Goldman Sachs. Now, their symbol is GS. Now, we, we did talk about we thought it was a smaller bank. I, I do kind of like uh, some smaller banks, but let, let's see what Goldman Sachs is doing here because that is a company that uh, I think is, and we kind of miss this because you can only buy so much. We, we've talked before about the, the Motley Fool, like, oh, we're up 600% on our picks. Well, yeah, I've got unlimited picks, but Goldman Sachs was one that we like. We just bought two other big money center banks. So let's take a look. Oh, there's Harrison there. So, so let's do that when we come back. Well. Yeah. Let's start on Goldman Sachs. Yeah, let's, we'll yeah let's, let's have Harrison wait for a minute here. Because Goldman Sachs, uh, we do see in the in industry of capital markets, uh, we do have uh, floats only 1.5%, institutional ownership 74%, uh, a nice PE ratio 5.8 versus 13.1, price to sales 2.1 versus 2.8, price to book value 1.1 versus 2.3. And no price of cash flow versus 8.1. Now, that surprised me why they don't have cash flow. But again, you maybe look at the cash flow statement. We could answer that. We do have a nice peg ratio, 0.7 versus 0.1. So it's good at 0.7, but not as good as the industry. Surprise there. Earnings per share, we're up 145%, beating the industry up 85%. Sales, 31% uh, increase over 25% uh, for the industry. And we do see a nice dividend yield here of 2.3%. Surprise here. They only use 9.4% of the earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet. It is a bank, so no current ratio, but debt to equity 300% versus 104%. But again, you got to look at that a little bit differently since they do loans and all the other crazy things that they do. So you got to really look at the uh, balance sheet to understand that better. We do see a net profit margin 38% versus 21.1%. And return on equity is 20.4 versus 14.8. Chase, very curious on the earnings going forward. Yeah, so current price here for Goldman Sachs, kind of surprised, $346.04. Say surprised because the 52-week high is $426.16 and the low, $310.23. So we're witnessing a little bit of a pullback here for the Goldman Sachs group. If I go forward, though, to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $40.88 would give us a target sell price of $678.61. So that looks very appealing. But one thing I'll say that worries me about Goldman Sachs, and I haven't looked at the business breakdown. We, we own financial companies, so we, we wouldn't buy another one. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that concerns me at Goldman is that I believe they're a lot more heavy into the advisory business, yeah. into the kind of capital markets business, uh, the M&A type deals. Uh, the fixed income trading, things like that. I don't think that business is going to boom as much. We've saw so much activity in the markets the last couple of years with the IPOs, things of that nature. I don't see that going forward. I think what the financial companies that are going to benefit are going to be the ones that do more on the loan side. They're going to benefit from rising interest rates. I don't know how much that's going to help Goldman Sachs, and that would be a big question I'd have if I was looking at investing in this company. And I did notice, too, that uh, year-to-date they're down 9.5%, which is more than the S&P decline of 8.8%, so I'm kind of surprised on that. Yeah, and it might be because they might not be a big benefactor from rising rates. I could be wrong. I'm just saying that's something I would want to analyze is how are rising interest rates going to impact Goldman Sachs? Is it going to be a benefit? Right. Did you do the earnings going forward yet? 
I did, yes. You, you did and that? it looks good. You can target sell, sell price is yeah. 678. Uh, but oh, but I do notice here a big range on those earnings. Uh, $36.49 to low, 48 to high. So there might be some analysts agree with you saying, well, wait a minute, they're not going to benefit as much from low interest rates, so they're all kind of all over the board. So maybe not a strong. What was the target sell price, remember? 678. Oh, 6. <laughs> Yeah. And that's a that's a pretty high one there, but um, yeah, and I, I think they've been beating worse than the banks. Uh, I, great company though, but I think they're a lot more volatile than the other banks because that type of business isn't as I'm going to say reoccurring as as loaning out money. Right. If you're doing a lot more with uh, the advisory business, that's going to be more fluctuation. And again, I I would want to spend a lot more time understanding their their type of business. I know they have the Neiman, uh, the kind of savings accounts. They're mm -hmm. working more, I think, on the the money center type bank. But I, I just I don't know enough about the company. Yeah. So again, Jeff, I hope that helps you out. I know he's looking for a, a position in his Roth, so he's not worried about taxes. So hope uh, that helps out, Jeff. All right. So let's uh, go back to Harrison. Harrison, you you with us again? All right, guys. I called from uh, I called a different line. So how do I sound now? You sound perfect now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that must have been what it is because I've called from different phones. I've called from uh, different locations on Wi-Fi, off Wi-Fi. So hopefully um, if I call this number now, then it'll be good going forward. Yeah, I think we'll use this one going forward there. So we're talking about the 401k rollover. So let's pick up there where we left off. Yeah, so when you have a 401k, there's basically three things you can do with it when you separate from a company. Um, either one, you do nothing and keep it where it is. You can roll it over into a new 401k with your new company, or you roll that into an IRA. So Chase and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago um, because we had some clients that were separating from their company, and they came to us and said, all right, we've got our 401k. We're ready to roll it over. But the issue is they are trying to retire within the next 10 years or so, or at least slow down. And part of their financial plan is, number one, contributing to their 401k, but also contributing to a Roth IRA for the next 10 years. And because they're high income earners, the only way they contribute to that Roth is with a backdoor contribution, which means they can't have any IRA money. So we had to say, no, don't roll that over to us. You need to roll that over into your new 401k so that you can continue to fund your Roth IRA going forward. So this is an example of, you know, it we would have liked to manage the assets, or really Brent and Chase would have liked to manage the assets. It doesn't matter to me. Um, but what the right thing to do for the client was to have them not do that so they could continue to fund the Roth IRA. And I think a lot of advisors would like to say, you know what, yeah, we'll just go ahead and take that rollover and, and we'll manage that money for you. Yeah, and you know, and this is so important because people think, oh, just easy, I'll just leave it there. Um, or I'll just roll it over to the new company. There's so many things that people give up. And this is why, again, you as a financial planner, uh, you're there for people continuously. It's not like a financial plan you put on the shelf and that's it, it's done. You're there to talk to people when they have these life-changing moments like buying or selling a house or uh, a, a job change to talk to what I always call a financial coach to say, well, I've got this you know, $100,000 401k what's the best thing to do with it? And you give them these different options on what's best for them. Yeah, and I mean, half the battle is not necessarily always making the right decision, but it's also just as important to avoid the wrong decision and make mistakes, and that needs to be done on a continuous basis. Like I said, it can't all be done um, just at one time. You, you know, that's an important thing you bring up is not making the wrong decision, because I think that has probably cost people more money over their lifetime by making the wrong decision. Um, and, and this is why you gotta look at all the factors. 
I, I think that's absolutely true because, you know, you can put a plan together and it sounds good. It sounds logical, whether it's an actual financial plan or if it's an investment strategy. But as soon as something comes up that you weren't expecting, then your emotions start to take hold. And those emotions can cause you to make a lot of mistakes. And so, you know, if you do the right things consistently, you're going to be all right. But, you know, one small mistake here and there can really derail your situation. So you really want to avoid making those mistakes. I think that's a great point, too, because that's what you're there for is, I'm going to say, the journey. It's mm -hmm. not just, that's why I think a lot of people have misconceptions about financial plans. Oh, I got this financial plan, and I'm going to be set in 20 years from now. Or that's the thing I hate about these online software programs where you can put in your own inputs. And it's like, wow, I'm going to be able to retire when I'm 45, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> but it doesn't account for the COVIDs. It doesn't account for these emotional decisions that come into play, and all of a sudden, now you're 90% off from what your financial plan was initially going to happen. So that's where I think your value comes in, Harrison, is actually guiding people through those decisions to make sure they're optimizing them. Yep. Yeah, there's a difference between running projections, which anybody can do, and actually making the right decisions consistently. That's where the true value comes in. Yeah, So, and again, that's why you're an unbiased financial planner. You're on a salary. Uh, you don't <clears throat> charge commissions, anything else of that nature. Where a lot of that, and again, I'm going to knock some other financial planners. They're more concerned about selling, you know, product and annuities and so forth, and doing what's right for the person there. So, well, Harrison, thank you very much for being there. We appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay, have a good one. Bye bye. All right, uh, yeah, Harrison is a financial planner. He is on a salary. Uh, we do charge a fee when you talk to Harrison. That's the difference. He's unbiased. You want to talk to him directly? Give him a call at the office eight five eight five four six. 4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can find out more about them on our website. Go to smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Well, Chase, we only got about 10 minutes le left, but I look over. All lines are open, so I think we got time for one more call. If you want to try to call in quick, uh, get that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion, call 833-288-0973. That's 833 0973. We did get an email, I think a couple of weeks ago from uh, Alan here. He says, uh, like others, I enjoy all your input during your and your dad's show. Uh, I guess he sent this to you on Saturday mornings, radio and TV appearances. Uh, he was wondering about a second analysis on uh, Sempra. Uh, so let's look at Sempra now. That's the old SGE. They still have, what's their symbol? SRE, I believe is what their symbol is. Correct. So, and I'm kind of curious on this because my, my belief is for years, this has not moved very much at all. And I think it pays a decent dividend, but I'm kind of excited to look at it because I've not looked at it and I can't remember the last time. So let's take a look at Sempra Energy, symbol is SRE. Uh, not much float, 1.5%. They are in the utilities diversified industry. 89% held by institutions. Wow, PE ratio, 38.5 versus 17.5. That does not sound anything like a utility company and way above the industry there. Price to sales also expensive, 3.4 versus 1. Price to book value, 2. Now, that is good. The initiative is 8.8. But back to price to cash flow, 10.5 versus 6. Your peg ratio is 3.5. The initiative is at 196. So a 3.5 peg ratio, not bad, but not great either. Now, this is also strange. Uh, earnings per share over the one year, down 46.5%. The industry is up 9.3%. Uh, sales did climb by 7.2%. That's double the industry at 3.6. And you have a five-year earnings per share growth rate of 4.3 versus uh, 0.4. Uh, 
We have a yield here of only 3.3%, but they use 122% their earnings to pay that out. Now compare that to the industry with a 4.5% yield using 87% of their earnings to pay that out. So Semper doing some strange things here. Uh, we do see that on the balance sheet, got a current ratio of 0.4 versus 1.1. That does not show much liquidity. That's kind of a, a flashing red light that if things don't go the right direction, they could have trouble paying their bills. Debt equity 1.1 versus 1.5, that's a positive. Uh, net profit margin 9.6, above the industry at six. And then return equity is 4.3, not very good. Even the industry is at 7.8. So I'm not really excited about this whole industry and Semper does not look very good at all to me. I'm, I'm wondering what things look like going forward, which I know you're going to show Yeah, so, so current price here for Semper is $135.51, 52-week high $144.93, and the low $114.66. Year-to-date, to about 2.4%. And this is kind of what you're talking about. The, the three-year return, about 29.7%. The five-year return at 50%. That's half of the index. It hasn't really performed that great i'd say over the last five years has been the issue with with this stock and i i do worry going forward over the next five years i i don't think it's going to do that well and reason is i go out to december 2022 i see estimated earnings per share of eight dollars and 47 cents what gives a target sell price of 140 dollars and 60 cents right near that current price of 135.51 so i just don't think there's much room for this it's not like their earnings are going to grow exorbitantly to right. kind of justify huge price gains and it, it's pretty much fully valued on that multiple so i i just don't see much room for growth on, on this stock and the dividends nice but i think you can get other dividend yielders where you can get more price appreciation yeah there's some financial institutions that are paying close to the 3.3 percent rate you have better, I think, growth potential than a Semper Energy would have. Um, so, yeah, uh, Alan, I, I've got to say, I, 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 he, he did write us a nice long letter here. I don't want to go into too much detail on the radio. Uh, but uh, if you hold it, I would not be, I'd be selling this company right now. Uh, and I would definitely not be buying this company. So, ha Alan, I hope that helped out. All right. Uh, yeah, let, let's go uh, out to Oceanside or up to Oceanside and speak with Robin. Robin, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Hi there. I was looking at the company Affirm. Okay. And been buying a lot of furniture lately, and it's <laughs> really been beaten up. <laughs> Is that Affirm Holdings? Is that the company? That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, you've been buying a lot of furniture, so you're not trying to support the stock price with your purchase of furniture. Is that what you're trying to do there, Robin? <laughs> well... I'm, I'm helping it from both ways. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, I got to ask, I mean, I love a firm. I use it all the time. Are you paying interest or are you doing the interest-free interest, interest free payments? I, I'm going with interest-free, but as things get more expensive, I thought more people would be utilizing it. Yeah. Okay, now why am I the only person in the room that doesn't know what, what a firm is? How do you know about it, Chase? I used it. This is really? the company where you buy online, and then it, it, it's essentially like a, the, the finance buy now Pay later. Pay later. Okay, that's yes, buy yeah. now, pay later. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, well, well, let's take a look at this. Now, you, you, do you hold this in your portfolio, Robin? I do, and I was looking at it more, but I think it's searching for the bottom right now. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see if we can find that bottom for you. Coming again is uh, a firm holding symbol, AFRM. We do see that they're in the software infrastructure industry, uh, about 75% owned by institutions. No PE ratio versus 56 for the industry. So over the last 12 months, they made no money here. Price of sales, 9.4, more expensive than the industry at 9. Price to tangible book value, 5.7 versus 100, so that's good. 
no price to cash flow and no peg ratio going forward. So I don't like seeing those uh, no cash flow and no peg ratio there. Uh, no earnings over the last year, so no earnings growth. No earnings growth over the last five years. Sales are up 67.7%. That's better than the industry at 30.4. Uh, you do have a five-year earnings per share growth estimate. Listen to this now. Analysts are saying it's a negative 34%. Industry is 16.6 positive. So that's not good to see your earnings down over the next five years. No dividend yield there. Looking at the balance sheet, you got uh, current ratio. 56.4 versus 3.8. I, I want to check that balance sheet. I don't see how you have 56.4. A lot of a lot of liquidity there. Debt equity, not very good. 170% versus 0.7. Around 140%, I start getting a little bit worried. Uh, we do see that they have a net profit margin of a negative 77% versus a positive 19. And return equity, a negative 35.1 versus a positive 45. A lot of negatives here, Robin. Chase, any positives going forward? I was going to say, first, I, I've never bought a buy now, pay later company, so I don't know how they do the accounting. Because mm -hmm. as you said, the current ratio is very strange. Is it, is it a financial company? Is it, you know, what kind of standards are they held to? I, I don't think they have any FDIC-insured products. So it's it'd be something that's kind of unique. And one other thing that I saw, I don't know if you pointed out the buyback yield. It's a negative 12.3%. So that tells me they're still issuing a lot of stock, which is diluting the current <coughs> shareholders. So something you got to be careful of with this business. Uh, current price for a firm, though, $37.33. As you said, Robin, unfortunately, 52-week high, $176.65, and right near the 52-week low at $35.90. Year-to-date, down 63%. So definitely a, a huge drawdown and down about 78% from its 52-week uh, high there. Moving forward, unfortunately, to June 2023, I see they're still not asked to make money as they're looking at a loss of $1.23 per share. Now, I kind of asked you in the beginning about the interest-free type payments. Right. The reason I asked that is I, I haven't understood and I haven't looked into the business. How are they monetizing this business? What is their long-term growth to profitability? That's my big question. I know they charge some products like a 15% interest rate, but who's actually doing that? So this is the big concern I have with the firm is what is their path to profitability. And the other thing to that, I worry about these buy now, pay later ones. I think they're going to be hurt more by rising interest rates than helped by them. So maybe that's why we're seeing the negatives. I mean, gosh, a higher was, what, 176, now around 30. Uh, gosh, Robin, I, I, I would not be able to sleep at night if I held this company in my portfolio. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> I wish I could give you a better news. <laughs> <laughs> just silence there. But, yeah, I, I, I just uh, don't like this company at yeah, all. Yeah, very high <clears> risk, <throat> and it, it could go back up. But I, there's just a lot of research that I, I would need to understand this business of how, how are they going to make money. That, that's my big question. Yeah. All right, Robin. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Colin. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Wow. Timed that perfectly, didn't I? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only. It should not be used as investment advice. I discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions. Feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Have a great Saturday. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think that I did all that. And may I say,